I get everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the When Two Tribes Go to War edition, as we look ahead to Sunday's AFC Championship game rematch between the Bengals and Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up, a bucket list interview for me as I discuss round three of the Joe Burrow-Patrick Mahomes matchup with the great Jim Nance from CBS. We'll hear from Jamar Chase on returning from his hip fracture and Ted Karras on why he walked off the field spewing F-bombs at Tennessee. And finally, in this week's Know the Foe segment, I'll pick the brain of former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Altafiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Altafiber. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since my cause, my cleats. This Sunday, players all over the league will wear custom-designed shoes as part of the NFL's My Cause, My Cleats campaign. It's become a great tradition, giving players the opportunity to support causes that are important to them. 22 Bengals will take part this year, and you can see their shoes and read about their causes on Bengals.com. Just scroll down to the latest photos section, and you'll see the link to My Cause, My Cleats. Now... Let's get to Sunday's game. Last January, in a span of four weeks, the Bengals pulled off two upset wins over the Chiefs that rank among the most thrilling wins in team history. In Game 1, the Bengals trailed 14-0, 21-7, and 28-14 before rallying to win on a walk-off field goal at the end of regulation by Evan McPherson. In Game 2, the Bengals trailed 21-3 with less than two minutes to go in the half before fighting back again. This time, the game went to overtime before a Von Bell interception led to another game winner by Money Mack. Four years ago, he was a senior in high school in tiny Fort Payne, Alabama. Now the Bengals' Super Bowl chances rest on his right foot. The kick is up. Yeah. It yeah. is good! Oh. Coffin nails! Bam! 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 That is un. Unbelievable. The Cincinnati Bengals come from behind on the road. Unbelievable, Dan. It is no fluke. (laughs) It is a fact. The Cincinnati Bengals are headed to Super Bowl 56. They just redefined the word resilient. The win stopped Patrick Mahomes from getting to the Super Bowl for the third consecutive year, and one of the biggest reasons why is that Joe Burrow matched him throw for throw. In their two meetings, Burrow threw for 696 yards, Mahomes threw for 534. Joe had more touchdown passes, 6-5, and fewer interceptions, 2-1. Here's what Tyler Boyd had to say this week about the matchup between the 27-year-old Mahomes and the 25-year-old Burrow. I, I, I kind of look back of it as like a Manning and Brady, you know, because um, you kind of can't stop them. You know, it's going to come down to whoever um, excel and take advantage of their opportunities and drives, you know, and, and score points. You know, with the, these are the type of games that when we play, uh, we got to take care of the football and um, don't 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 turn it over. Who's Manning and who's Brady? <laughs> 
I mean, is Burrow and, 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 and Mahomes, you know, I, I wouldn't compare them, but I know those are two guys that, you know, has records for the uh, fastest two quarterbacks to reach 10,000 yards. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to stop Burrow. It's, it's kind of hard to stop uh, Mahomes. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think Burrow won up two up teams. So, yeah, so whichever one you want to pick and whoever got the most wins, then there you go. Sunday's game will have a huge TV audience at 425 on CBS. And this week, I checked an item off my interviewing bucket list by catching up with a play-by-play announcer for this week's game. Remember the famous Saturday Night Live bit when Chris Farley is interviewing Paul McCartney and he's so starstruck that he can barely get out a question? Well, this interview might go the same way as I have the opportunity to visit with one of my broadcasting heroes, Jim Nance. Jim, you and Tony called both Bengals Chiefs games back in January. Obviously, they were thrillers. Have you had this one circled on the schedule since the NFL schedule came out in May? Absolutely. And Dan, thank you for that uh, build up. My gosh, I'm not worthy, but I really, truly appreciate you so much. You're uh, an absolute pros pro and uh, it's an honor to be on here with you. I have been thinking about this game since um, since before the schedule came out, because it was one of those games I was afraid we might lose. I, I wanted to make sure that it landed in our inventory. So end of April, when the, the league did announce what games are going to go on what date, I was thrilled to see that we had this in the doubleheader window to open up December. It's big, it's gigantic, and pretty amazing to be able to have a matchup technically three times in one calendar year for teams that aren't even in the same division, albeit in the same conference, but it's a rarity. And they have been down to the wire thrillers, the first two, and I expect it'll be the same thing come Sunday. So earlier this week, Tyler Boyd said that Burrow versus Mahomes is the new version of Brady versus Manning. You called a bunch of those games. Does this feel similar to you? Yeah, I think I called somewhere around 11 or 12 of their 17 matchups. So, uh, you know, the thing that's missing here is just time. I mean, they're still in their 20s. I mean, they're still in their basically in their mid 20s. So it's a little early to go that far with it. I appreciate what Tyler's trying to say. The other thing you have here is you have a lot of really young stars at that position. You can't take anything away from what Joe's accomplished so far. It's enormous. And of course, Patrick as well. But you got Josh Allen sitting out there. And you know, you've got you got Lamar Jackson and you've got Justin Herbert, and there are others. So uh it, it's it's a little early, but it's on track, I think is what he's trying to really say. They're on track because they're playing in Super Bowls. I mean, they've played now in, you know, in, in three between them. So, yes, it has a chance to potentially be there if their teams keep winning. And these guys, uh, number nine and number 15, they know nothing but how to win. One of the things I admire so much about your work is the ability to say just the right thing in the big moments. And here's what you said when Evan McPherson hit the field goal that sent the Bengals to the Super Bowl. This could be a sentence that a month ago would have sounded incomprehensible. McPherson from 31 yards out and Cincinnati is headed to the Super Bowl. The word incomprehensible was perfect. Were you and Tony just stunned by what you had witnessed. I think that's fair to say, especially since it was 21 to three right before the half and you got Kansas city at home 
So you don't expect anything like that to turn around that quickly at Arrowhead. I had, interestingly, another 21 to three lead in an AFC championship game. And that gets back to your last question. That was Brady and Manning. And that was, that was in uh, the first months of 2007. And, but in this case, Indianapolis was the team that was down 21 to three and playing at home. So they were able to come back, stitch it together. They kicked the field goal before the half to make it 21 to six and Peyton led them back to a 38, 34 victory. So, at the time, it was the biggest comeback in championship game history, only to see the Bengals all these years later come and do the same thing. But the Cincinnati wins even more impressive because it was on the road. It wasn't just in any stadium. It was in the most raucous, highest decibel level stadium, supposedly, in the entire league. So uh, it was a, an amazing achievement. But, you know, you think about their playoff run and you know, how they, they beat the Raiders and how they won it. Tennessee and you know how they worked their way through these games and uh, and their late season surge including that regular season matchup at Cincy against KC uh, it was it was storybook I mean it really was but you know they're that good that, that they're they, they stumbled out of the gates this year but you know seven out of nine have gone their way since an 0-2 start and uh, they're good I mean this team has really come together earlier than it came together last year. Jim, after the game, you interviewed Mike Brown on the stage, and Mike is not Jerry Jones. He's a private person. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. Have you interacted with him much over the years, and what did you think of that moment? I, I've had some really special times with him, and he probably doesn't remember him, but I do. And I've met up with him a few times standing on the sideline when we've been able to watch practice. And I've always been intrigued and I've always respected the man. I don't think he gets any kind of due uh, nationally because you said it. He's not a guy that's going to try to put himself out there and build up his name. He's not seeking any attention. I'm not saying the other guys are seeking attention. It's just he's a background guy. He's a football guy. And um, I've always enjoyed him. I, I really have. And it's just there's something about him that is so basic so normal, so much like the guy next door. Um, I've just, I've admired him, you know, in some ways I've, I've tried to model my career in, in some of those same principles, you know, the game is the thing and I'm not trying to draw attention to what I'm doing. That's at least what I'm always internalizing. And I think that's what Mike Brown is all about. And uh, he's been successful for a long time. Every team's had lean years, every franchise has, but, you know, the Bengals have had their share of uh, Super Bowl appearances, too. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of a lot of teams that we know uh, uh, that that have never even gotten to the game. And um, anyway, he has put together uh, this organization has put together a pretty darn good nucleus right now. Uh, I, I'll give you one other example. What, what he did, what he did with with Zach, what he did with his coach to be able to to ride out those first couple of years and what when five or six games, the first two years total, but to have faith that this was the right guy to lead them. And he's impressive. I'll tell you, you got an impressive coach there in Cincinnati. So Mike saw it, Mr. Brown saw it. And um, here they are when make ready to make another run. We are visiting with the great Jim Nance. This is not the first Bengals game that you and Tony have called this year. You had Bengals-Cowboys back in week two. Cincinnati obviously fell to 0-2 and they lost that game. They're 7-2 and since. What do you think of the way the Bengals are playing right now? 
Well, the big difference, I think, since early in the year, Dan, is that the offensive line has stabilized now and they've figured it out through good coaching. Uh, they have figured out how to how to build, how to grow and how to become a unit in, in, in sync, in concert with one another. Uh, there have been some other guys that have stepped up. What T. Higgins did over the last month was pretty impressive. What Trent Irwin did stepping in was impressive. What uh, Samaji's done out of the backfield with, with, with Mixon out last week and the week before that in the, in the Pittsburgh game. Um, it, it, there are a lot of, there's a lot of depth there. I think that's the thing. And they just needed that offensive line to gel on that side. And, uh, you know, defensively, I think they're, they've also found themselves stabilized. They've had some guys that didn't play early in the year that are playing, you know, a lot of snaps now and um, playing some good football. Typically, the day before the game, the broadcast crew has the opportunity to visit with some of the coaches and players. Can you describe what a Joe Burrow, Tony Romo meeting is like? The, the meeting of number nines. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been good. Uh, Joe is a mature guy, you know, for as young as he really is. And he's, you know, he, he's, he's confident, but he's not overconfident. And, and Tony is one of these just individuals that likes to build people up. And I love that. It's one of the many things that I admire about my teammate. I love the guy myself and we have so much fun together, but when he's, when he's in a room with uh, young quarterbacks, he's rooting for them. And I think he wants them to know that he's on their side and he likes to just, I like to sit back and listen to the two of them talk because Tony, as you could tell, sees everything. Um, by the way, Joe's, He's way beyond his years in terms of like understanding what's going on in the field and seeing things and the game slowing down and all of that um, throws a beautiful football. I know Tony admires that too, um, but it's, it's a, it's a good meeting of the minds. It really is. Jim, you famously have a replica of the par three seventh hole at Pebble beach at your home in California. I understand that Patrick Mahomes has played it. Uh, did you learn anything about Patrick Mahomes from his visit? <laughs> well, Patrick came out like the week before COVID hit in 2020. And he was a wonderful guy. Brittany was with him. And we ended up playing two rounds of golf, real golf, not the golf in my backyard. <laughs> we played Cypress Point Club and we played Pebble Beach. The first hole at Cypress Point is not easy. And he hit it over the green on a like a severe downhill lie with a back hole location with the green running away from him. So to pitch it and keep it on the green or even get it on the green, once it landed on the green, pretty good odds it was going to run all the way down to the front and off the green and back down the fairway. He pitched it in. First mm. hole, Mahomes magic. Mm. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. Now he hasn't <laughs> been playing golf that long. And when we were playing back then, he didn't hit a driver. He had three wood. He didn't know how to hit his driver. But the three wood would suffice. I mean, he hit that three wood about 330 yards. I'm not wow. kidding. And he could pound it. Um, but then he did come to the house and and hit some balls in the backyard, uh, trying desperately to make a hole in one. I have a, 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 a huge boulder there that has uh, the names engraved for those who have made a hole in one. Guests. I don't put my own name on there. Of course, I've hit thousands of balls. There's out of dumb luck. I've made it a few times. But <laughs> There have been 22 holes in one by, by guests. And, and Patrick, unfortunately, is not on the Rock of Fame yet. 
He came close a couple of times. I've got the video of it. We had a blast. I will say this is terrible name dropping on my part, Dan, but I've had some really super NFL quarterbacks who have uh, given it their best shot that just because they love to come out the pebble and I spend my summers there and uh, you know, it's a bucket list place, but whether it would be Patrick or Josh Allen, who's had many a go at it, hasn't made it. Um, Justin Herbert, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Joe Montana. I mean, there are some serious, there's some serious talent that's been up there. Romo made it. He, he's the, he's the only quarterback that has made it, but there are others too from around the league that have given it their best. We haven't had Joe Burrow there, but if Joe ever hears, you know, about this, about this little chat, I hope he knows <laughs> he's invited. And, uh, I'm there in February, June, and July. All he's got to do is call me, and you have my number. He is just starting out as a golfer, so he might be intimidated, but I will let him know that the invitation has been extended. Jim, this is a My Cause, My Cleats weekend, and you won't be wearing cleats in the booth, but I know if you were, what your cause would be. You have been really involved in the fight against Alzheimer's disease. Can you describe some of the things that you and your wife have done? Well, we opened up a research institute in Houston. Thank you for bringing that up, Dan. It's truly my my cause 52 weeks a year and virtually every day of my life. I'm involved with what's going on uh, down at Houston Methodist Hospital, which is the home of the Nance National Alzheimer's Center. By the way, the Nance is for not, not the one you're speaking to, but for my dad, my late father. I named it after my dad. I wrote the check. I had a vision of how you know, to open it up, how I wanted this to to have a place in the world of, uh, of research and uh, building a gigantic neurological institute. This is not a foundation. This is actual bricks and mortar. And um, I'm, it's, I'm more proud of that outside of my family goals and wishes than anything I've ever done in my life is being a part of a team. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a neurologist. Um, not a doctor. I can talk it a little bit for sure about what we're going through and what we're researching and what trial programs we're going through. But I'm a cheerleader. I try to be a visionary in terms of bringing people together and, and helping create funding opportunities. But the Nance Center, which gives my dad a voice that he never had, it, it, it's being heard around the world. And we have nine trials that are ongoing right now. We had one that we just recently hit on. It was in the Wall Street Journal that this was the first breakthrough discovery in Alzheimer's treatment ever. And we were one of the few places on the planet that was uh, trusted with uh, administering that trial at our research institute. So um, a lot of NFL involvement, Dan, a lot of former players, coaches, et cetera, that confidentially reach out to me and want to come down to the Nance Center to be diagnosed or be put on a trial and have a treatment program. And, um, yeah, it's if you want to find out more about it, nancefriends.org is where you can find out about it. That is my cause. And I'll tell you why it's my cause. It's it's a it's a it was a disease that defeated my dad, the most robust personality, life of the party kind of guy you could ever see. And it brought him down to uh, a guy that couldn't even recognize his own family, stricken at the age of 66. So as a son, as an only son who carries his name and was bequeathed his voice 
I want his voice to be heard through me. And I want to be able to say that I was a part of a team that helped defeat the opponent that defeated my dad. That is my mission on earth, outside of my family goals. That's my goal. That's my cause. That is powerful stuff. Jim, this has been a real treat for me. I can't thank you enough for doing it. Have a great game on Sunday. I look forward to it. Uh, probably the first of uh, a few appearances at the jungle before this season is over. It's a big one. And this game will dictate how often Tony and I come back come, come January. But uh, Dan, great admirer of you, you and uh, who you are and your work. And let's do this again the next time we have a Bengals game. That interview was done via Zoom. There were about three people watching on the Bengals' end. And when Jim Nance appeared on the screen, he said, Hello, friends. It was like the final round of the Masters was about to begin. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. In the first meeting between the Bengals and Chiefs last year, Jamar Chase had the greatest receiving performance in team history with 11 catches for 266 yards and three touchdowns. That was the most yards in a game by a Bengals receiver and the most ever by an NFL rookie. Jamar has missed the last four games with a hairline hip fracture, but all signs point to him being back on Sunday. Um, I felt really good last week. I just want to give myself, you know, the right amount of time. I don't want to never rush anything. So I felt good last week running straight and, and you know, making cuts. Yes, last week, you know, I even tried to make cuts on, on my hurt leg hard as I could. You know, I didn't really feel nothing. So it's just want to be comfortable. You know, you don't want to send somebody on the field that's not comfortable playing yet and not, you know what I'm saying, 100% playing. You don't want to send, you know, somebody out there that's not ready to play. That's all. So you're not worried about taking hits or anything? Like not worried about that. I'm just worried about being ready to play and, ready to you know provide for what they need me to do chase was listed as a limited participant at practice on wednesday and thursday as was joe mixon who is likely to return after missing one game due to a concussion the bengals booth podcast is brought to you by paycor more than twenty-nine thousand customers trust paycor to help them recruit pay engage and retain employees learn more at paycor.com Following last Sunday's game at Tennessee, a video shot by Mark Slaughter from WLWT in Cincinnati went viral. It showed Ted Karras spewing F-bombs as he walked off the field after the victory. Ted was upset about the Titans' behavior on the final few snaps of the game when the Bengals were in the victory formation. He even took a punch to the face on the final play of the game from Jeffrey Simmons. I spoke to Karras about it this week. Ted, things got a little testy at the end of the game last week when the Bengals were in the victory formation and the Titans kind of tried to jump the snap and, and blow it up. Is that against the unwritten rules of football to do that? I mean, there's a certain protocol, but they didn't want to concede. That's their right. So, um, you know, just glad we got out of there with victory. You were captured on camera, fired up, walking off the field. I can't repeat exactly what you said, but uh, Zach Taylor was asked about it this week, and he said Ted Karrist is going to be a Cincinnati legend. How did you become aware of the fact that that went viral? My dad. I was talking to my dad for the game and uh, said, asked me if I was all right and if I knew I was trending on Twitter. So that's kind of it's a weird, vulnerable feeling when everyone's talking about you online, but uh, glad it was overall positive thanks to the Cincinnati fans uh, great reaction but uh, you know you don't want to always live like that but you know it was fired up big physical victory so glad to get out of there with a win now it's all Chiefs 
You were mic'd up way back in week four for the Miami game. My favorite part was when you were walking off the field after the clinching touchdown, you've got your eye, arms raised in triumph, and you accidentally clock one of the officials. Was the contact pretty good? Well, the only thing I was worried about was it is illegal to touch an official, so it could be potentially have been a 15-yard penalty. Obviously, in that context, it wouldn't have been. But, uh, no, that wasn't – I mean, obviously, he dropped the ball, so it was enough to, <laughs> to, to, to cause a fumble by the ref. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we didn't do anything – dicey at the end there want to make sure he knew it was inadvertent because you know i've seen stuff like that inadvertent shots end up in 15-yard penalties and you don't want to live like that we're chatting with ted karras your 11 games getting ready for 12 in your first season with the Bengals. at this point you know your teammates well tell me something about joe burrow that's really stood out to you so far i think his uh you know attention to detail his obsession with victory um is awesome he's a great chess player i think that's pretty admirable um and, you know, just a pleasure to be around. Very, uh, you know, one of the most accessible superstars that I've ever been around. Have you competed in chess? No, I'm not good enough. Him and Kappa compete. So they're, they're very good. I, 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 I'm more of a, a more of a Catan player if you ever played Settlers of Catan. Yeah. <laughs> We've got that at home. Uh, so Lap's nickname for Alex Kappa is Phi Beta Kappa. It sounds like if he's a good chess player, that might be accurate. Yeah, I think that's, you know, well, that's more of a nod to uh, – Animal House, I think, but uh, yeah, no, Cap's extraordinary, been a huge part of our line success. We would not be in the same position without Alex Capo. So speaking of the line success, I interviewed Charles Davis from CBS last week. He had the game. Uh, he also called the season opener against the Steelers, so I asked him about the line's improvement and what he's seen. He said the Bengals are now a top third offensive line in the NFL, so 32 teams, that's roughly top 10. What do you think? You know, that's a great compliment. I think that, you know, the, the team is playing, you know, the unit's playing well, obviously well enough to win in November, but we got to keep it going. Uh, there's no, you know, magic pill that's just going to transfer over a good performance besides, you know, good practice, attention to detail, and everyone being prepared, ready to go. So it's Kansas City this week. A former roommate is on the other roster, correct? Yeah, Joe Tooney. Uh, stood up at my wedding, one of my best friends, uh, Dayton, uh, uh, Archbishop Alter alum. So uh, excited to see him. We'll see his family after the game. I'm excited. They're uh, great family friends, amazing people. Um, you know, it'll be nice to shake his hand with a victory. Why did you two hit it off so well? You know, we came in together. We were drafted together. He was uh, basically the first guy I met. Um, we're very similar, you know, Midwest O-linemen. Um, have a lot of sh similar interests, but, you know, uh, had a good, you know, back and forth, good uh, dichotomy of interests. So, um, it was amazing living with him for four years uh, and, you know, always rooting for the best. Glad he got to, you know, cash in with that big deal and he's still playing, you know, as good as anyone in the league. Are you a jersey swap kind of guy? Will that happen this week? It will. I have about 60 jerseys, Dan, in my collection. Um, mostly I just buy them and have my teammates sign them. So they'll all go up in my bar at some point. I'm going to open a bar up. So that's what I can't can't put that many in my house. I'd look like an idiot. Yeah, it'll be wall to wall in the bar. It'll yeah. look great. A couple more questions for Ted Karras. According to Pro Football Focus, the top ranked interior defensive lineman in the NFL isn't Aaron Donald. It isn't Jeffrey Simmons, who you faced last week. It isn't Cam Hayward. It is the guy you're going to face this week. Chris Jones. Is it brute strength? Is it quickness? What is it about this guy that makes him so tough? Uh, premier player. I think, you know, one thing people underestimate is how big he is. He is 6'6", very long, very uh, very long and strong. So um, we're going to have to bring our best. You know, he has a good array of moves. He has a good toolbox, very savvy player, played a long time at a high level. So it's going to be another test for us uh, to, you know, perform our absolute very best. 
You've been making the media rounds recently to promote a worthy cause, the Cincy Hat, and what it raises money for. Give us the backstory of the Cincy Hat. Cincy Hat is, you've probably seen it on a couple of guys. It's the, you know, black, white, or orange hats that say Cincy, and it benefits the village of Marici in Indianapolis, which provides independent living and, and social connections uh, and, and employment opportunities for adults with developmental disabilities. So autism, Down syndrome being the most common. And that will be on your shoes this week for My Cause, My Cleats. Is that correct? That will be. That will be on my shoes. They'll be up for auction, too, this uh, spring of the casino night in Indianapolis. So hopefully a couple of Cincinnati residents make their way out there because uh, last year's also will be up for auction. We didn't have one last year, obviously. Uh, had to cancel that a few times due to COVID protocol. I appreciate your time. Best of luck this week. And you were great as a TV weatherman. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. Let's go. Who day? While making an appearance to discuss the Cincy hat on Local 12 News in Cincinnati, Ted helped give the weather forecast. If you would like to check it out, just do a search for Ted Karras, Weatherman. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Now, time for this week's Know the Foe segment. Joe Valerio spent four years as an offensive lineman in Kansas City and currently covers the Chiefs as one of the hosts of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. Joe, and the Chiefs traded Tyreek Hill, I think a lot of people wondered if the Kansas City offense was going to dip a little bit. Well, let's see. They're number one in yards. They're number one in points, just under 30 a game. How are they doing it? Well, I got to give them a lot of credit. I give I give Brett Veach and Andy Reid and the, and the offense and defensive coordinators. And also you got to throw special teams in there as well. Uh, you know, they're really good at diversifying when folks leave. And if you take the Tyreek example that you, you know, that you brought up, Dan, they diversified their wide receiving core. And I thought that was a real positive for them. I, I felt like we'll call it a two trick pony because you always got to throw Travis Kelsey in the mix. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they were getting to the point where I think defensive coordinators were starting to get on track with what they were doing and what the playbook looked like. And I think this was, you know, the magic of Andy Reed and what Brett Veach has been able to do. And I guess the best term not to overuse the term was I think they diversified in a way that caused a lot of defensive coordinators to take a step back and rewrite what they were going to do. Because I, I look at that receiving core that's been able to withstand injury, right? When somebody gets hurt, another guy steps up. You know, they've got finally, you know, in like an MVS, they've got the back shoulder throw that Patrick can make. You know, I call those the the Randy Moss types, you know, the the Terrell Owens types. You know, they've got uh, you know, they've got the sort of the possession receivers in in like a Justin Watson, uh, who's, you know, kind of he's gonna get open, he's gonna find an open spot, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna, you know, be able to to get in an area where you know he needs to be. Juju is in that same camp where Juju is more of a, a smaller possession type receiver, very sure handed. And, you know, and I think that's what they were able to do. And of course you always will have McCall Hardman as, as sort of the speed guy. And I think it, it, it's given them enough, it's given them more pages in the playbook. So anyway, long answer to a short question, Dan, that's what I think about Tyreek Hill leaving. It's the, it, what they've been able to do offensively has settled a lot of those questions. Uh, and demonstrated that they could do it without him. Although, hey, he was a big piece of the puzzle to miss. And I'm sure there are times when Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are missing him a ton. 
Joe, you played offensive line in the NFL. My broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, played offensive mm-hmm. line in the NFL. He says in a normal game, you try to stop the run and then you defend the pass. He says against the Chiefs, it's the reverse. You have to stop the pass, so you almost dare them to run. Do you agree? I totally agree, and it's something I've been talking with you know, my podcast partner, Jeff Fedotin, about for years. I, I have felt over the last several years, we'll just call it several, we'll bucket it in a big term, I felt like they have been somebody who hasn't really been committed. And I'm going to use that in air quotes, right? Committed to the run game. And I think with Isaiah Pacheco now coming on, I think they may have found somebody, you know, there's those terms out there when he runs, he he's trying to hurt the ground. Uh, You know, he gets up and runs faster after the play is over. He's just got that level of energy. Uh, I think they may have found somebody that you can pull back and say, I mean, could he be the next Priest Holmes, Kareem Hunt? I don't know, but that's a big stretch for a rookie. But I think that's the piece that this offense has been missing. And I feel like whenever the Chiefs have committed to the run, again, I'm going to overuse this term, it allows them to open up the playbook. And and it gives Patrick more options, more things to do when you've got eight guys kind of crowding the box a little bit, wondering if they're going to run, are they going to play action? You know, what are they going to do? And I just feel like I'm super excited about what they're doing with Isaiah now. And I think it's going to help them down the stretch. Uh, but it's always been, I feel the Achilles heel of the offense, at least Patrick Mahomes' offense, maybe not a Trent green or Alex Smith in the past when they've had those kind of big Derek Henry type running backs or a Saquon Barkley, somebody like that, that's going to get you five and a half yards of carry. Um, I feel like it's always been their Achilles heel. Former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio is our guest. He is the host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. In the second half of the AFC Championship game last year, Joe, the Bengals rushed three and covered with eight on about half of Patrick Mahomes' dropbacks, and it worked. Have teams been trying that much this year? And if so, is it still working? I mean, it obviously worked for the Bengals, and I think they figured it out, right? Might as well take a shot. If, like you said, it, you're going to stop. You're going to stop the pass first, and that's what they did in that second half. And I, I think it was marvelous uh, call by by the Bengals coaching staff to do that. Um, I think with some of the things they have been able to do uh, in the run game, while it has been limited, it definitely is better than it was last year. So I don't see as many teams falling back that many. Um, you know, they're generally rushing four. Uh, you know, you have to have a very disciplined pass rush against Patrick Mahomes. You know, you can't, if you give him what I call a pocket within the pocket, he's going to, he's going to beat you. Um, not with his legs all the time. He's not like Josh Allen. Well, he, he does run. I'm not saying he can't run, but he's going to find that extra second or two to find a receiver who can get into, you know, either in man, you know, get, get away from somebody or sit down in a, in a zone and, and find that open spot. Um, so more teams, I think this year, because of this better stable of running backs, I'll call it, and the way they've been performing, uh, I think more teams have been bringing, you know, seven up into the box on first down. And, you know, and Patrick's been able to make some plays, you know, on first down with the pass when he sees more players coming up into that, you know, tackle box. So I think I think this year it's been um, a learning lesson. That game was a learning lesson for Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy is that, you know, we're going to have to do something and not just allow, you know, three guys to rush and, and eight guys drop back. I mean, that's, that was a fantastic formula for the Bengals and hats off to them for, for thinking of that. 
Joe, if my math is correct, the Chiefs are 20 and four in their last 24 games, and half of the four losses were to Cincinnati in a four week span last January. What impact do those losses have on this week's game? Well, you know, players always have thoughts and count they have they have games circled on the calendar as much as as much as you know i lived under the marty schottenheimer era right and you being in ohio obviously have uh you know probably at least some of those memories of those cleveland browns uh marty teams and you know marty was the kind of coach that always said the most important game is your next game and i get that and i totally live by a philosophy not just with football but also you know things in life you know the next thing you're doing is the most important thing but <laughs> but the big but you know that players circle games on their calendars that you can't help it, right? Just They're just humans and they're thinking about the things that uh, are sitting in their craw or the things that stung them. And I know this game has stung a lot of Chiefs and whether the Bengals were coming in here on the role that they're coming in on, which is very exciting, right? The seven and four role that they're on, because I'm not sure early mid-season, you know, until they had these three three wins in a row, if I'm not mistaken, right? that maybe people were doubting this team a little bit. And uh, I think Joe Burrow and the rest of the team are putting that behind them a little bit. And they're seeing the team that they are and that they were and that they can be. And I think, you know, every team goes through those rough patches. So this is going to be an amazing game for a lot of reasons. I think there's going to be a lot of players on the Kansas city side that are going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about this game. And they probably had it circled regardless of whether, you know, you don't want to look past the Raiders and the Broncos and the AFC West, this, that game stung a lot of, a lot of players, a lot of fans. So I think, um, I think the chiefs are going to pull out, you know, all the stops that they can. And I think the players are going to be, you know, pretty mentally prepared for this game. Joe Valerio played for the Chiefs in the 1990s. He is the host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. Let's turn to the Kansas City defense. What's the strength? What's the biggest weakness? Well, I couldn't. You, you can't. You can't say anything without bringing up Chris Jones, right? You can't. You can't have a defensive conversation uh, without him. Um, I, I thought at the beginning of this season, and the reason why you know they went after. Carloftis uh, early in the first round uh, was was the pass rush. You know what what is Frank Clark going to be able to bring to the table in his you know advanced age? Um, you know, are we going to be able to get after the quarterback? And you know, I, I would have said six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, early on that that pass rush was going to be their weak link, and I, it, I'm, it's turning out to be one of their better facets of their team. I think a lot of it has to do with game planning and positioning that Steve Spagnuolo as the defense coordinator is doing. He's taking not a, not a really well-known group of guys. I mean, you know, George Karloftis got his first sack, um, you know, full sack against the Rams. So he has been a lot of pressures, but definitely not getting after the quarterback. Um, I think they were worried about, you know, whether or not, you know, obviously we're playing without Frank Clark right now because of the, of the, of the suspension, uh, whether he was going to be able to hold up, he came back in fantastic shape and has been making an impact. And even guys like, you know, Mike Dana, Carlos uh, Dunlap, they're, 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 Steve Spagnuolo is finding a way to make the, make it work for them. And that's what this defensive staff always does. And, and, and on offense, they do it, I think even more. Steve Spagnola never takes a square peg and tries to jam it into a round hole. He doesn't say, this is my defensive philosophy. You're going to fit. It's my way or the highway. He constantly is evolving the player's skills and their attributes to meet the needs of the defense. I really respect that about him. I love that about coaches. He's, his playbook is very, let's call it flexible, variable, 
and one that is in, you know, there's lots of iterations of it. So that would have been the weak link. I think right now, you know, Nick Bolton's playing well. I would have said it was the linebacking core, but gosh, with Willie Gay back and Nick Bolton's having a Pro Bowl type season, Leo Chanel as a rookie came on. I mean, I would have said that maybe the whole defense was weak, <laughs> you know, six months ago as we were heading into the offseason. But the drafting of Trent McDuffie, Justin Reed, Legereus Sneed coming into their own. I, I have to say, I I can't really find a as strong of a weak link on defense as I do on the Chiefs offense, which I think is still the running game, the overall running game. On defense, I think they've shored up all those things where they might not be A plus in any one of those attributes, D-backs, middle of the you know field linebacking, and then up front on the D-line. But you know, they're solid B, B plus across the board. And I think it's it's giving them some success right now. Joe, you mentioned the name Carlos Dunlap. I'm guessing there are Bengals fans listening to this that didn't even realize he's wound up with the Kansas City Chiefs this year and is wearing the number eight. He had some great years in Cincinnati before an ugly exit. What's his role with the Chiefs right now, and, and how is he doing? He, I mean, he's got he, he's got four sacks, so he's he's making an impact. Um, he's you know definitely a great rotation player who gets you know he gets a lot of starts. Um, uh, and, and, and he's, you know, he's really jumped in there and it's very, uh, it's very easy to find him on the field. Cause you see a number eight lining up at defensive end and you're like, wait a minute, did a, did a wide receiver, uh, fall out onto the defense. Um, but he's very, very recognizable out there. And, you know, he's been, he's been, they've been rotating him, uh, in when he, you know, when he starts, but that's what this defense has been doing. They've been trying to build depth where, where they can get, you know, folks to rotate through. So they're not playing, you know, 60, 70 plays on defense. Maybe they're playing, you know, the starters are playing the 45 or 50 critical defensive plays because defense is a, is a rotation position and that's what he's been doing. And he's, you know, he's made a really nice role play impact, uh, especially with Frank Clark uh, suspension and uh, you know, with bringing, helping to bring guys like George Karlaftis, you know, uh, uh, an untested rookie along. So, I think he's been a been a great addition. Uh, he seems to have found his niche uh, with the Chiefs, and he's found his role. So I, I think the the fans are really happy to have him. Are there any injury questions that we should be keeping our eye on this week from Cincinnati? They have to keep an eye on whether you know what Andy's going to do. Besides just the injuries, you know what are they going to do? Uh, you know with Clyde Edwards-Helaire, right? Is he going to play again? And is Isaiah Pacheco and Ronald Jones going to be? Are they going to be the guys rotating in with Jarek McKinnon? The other one is Joe Tooney. Uh, Joe has been banged up a lot. You know Nick Allegretti uh, is the uh, he's my number sake number seventy three. Plus he's got a lot of vowels in his name, so you know we kind of and he caught a touchdown last year. So he's a tackle eligible too. Like we've, we, we've bonded uh, dramatically. Um, but yeah, they have to keep, keep an eye on the line and to see, uh, you know, if they can try to puncture that weakness of, of, you know, if Joe Thune's not going to be able to go and Nick Allegretti steps in, he's done an admirable job filling in. Um, you know, he's not the type of backup that's, you know, you're going to miss a beat when he gets in there. So they've done a really good job inside of, 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 you know, managing uh, depth. I'm a little, I get a little concerned on the outside. We've got some untested tackles uh, backing up Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley uh, and Darian Kennard and, and Jaron Christian. They haven't really played a whole lot this season. And uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, as the season goes on and you haven't been playing, it can get a little, it gets a little worse each day. So, you know, just got to make sure that O line stays healthy um, because that was, you know, that was their downfall several years ago uh, in the Super Bowl. 
You had a big man touchdown back in the day. Yeah, I had four actually. Four. I, uh, so, well, well, I just, you know, listen, here's one of my greatest, uh, you know, uh, the greatest honors is that I share that record with Anthony Munoz, who also had four tackle eligible touchdowns. So we, we share the record along with another player. There's four, four offensive linemen who have scored four touchdowns. Um, so, you know, I will always, of course, of course, Anthony Munoz was, was one of my idols growing up. I, I loved watching him play. Um, my, my college strength coach, uh, was very good friends with the Bengal strength coach back then who, you know, used to train guys like Anthony and Tim Crumry. And so I got to know uh, Reggie Williams. And, and so I knew a lot about the Bengals, even though I was a Philly NFC kid growing up in Philadelphia with my Eagles. I knew a lot about the Bengals through my college strength coach uh, who was friendly with, with the Bengal strength coach. So we used to follow their same strength regimen. So uh, really cool connection there uh, with Anthony. Joe Valerio, host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast and a guy that shares an NFL record with Anthony Munoz. So it doesn't get any better than that. I just wish I could have played as long as he did or had as many Pro Bowls. <laughs> I just don't hope you don't have any fingers that face sideways like Anthony does. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Awesome, Dan. Glad to join you. Good luck this week. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Kettering Health, the official healthcare provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.